Have fun down there. Anybody that wants to go down, you can go down. Ephesians chapter 2. And where where the direction is headed for is we're going to have next week I'll complete chapter 2 and then we'll go into uh, Easter and then I'll finish up with chapter 3 and then we'll probably get into a couple of chapters of Galatians. So just kind of letting you know where we're going. And uh, I'm humbled by the fact that I'm just learning so much And I'm not able to grasp a lot of this that I am teaching. Some of it is conventional, some of it's traditional, some of it is not. And so I know that um, I'm crossing the grains with some folks, and but I gotta share what I see within scripture in in my, my time of study and research and whatnot. As Jackson was saying this last week, uh, was a funky week. I use that word as meaning what it is. It's funky, okay? It's just weird stuff. It was that evening, I don't know how many days ago it was, it was last week, um, where I turned on the bathtub to take a bath, and Michael and Amy were at the house, and... uh, Michael's uh, mom came and little brother. So as I was leaving the bathtub on, I went out there to welcome them and chat. And we started talking about a lot of different things. And it was a long time. Nobody's done this. This is Gordy's life. It was a long time before, well, I had to go to the bathroom. Barb just got back from work. And I went in and opened the door. Guess what happened? There's a swimming pool in our bedroom, in the bathroom, in our closet. And I yelled out, Barb! She's my saving grace, always. And so she comes running and... uh, She started tearing up the carpet, the padding. We got a whole bunch of towels, and eventually, and I got a bucket and a mop and et cetera. Eventually, uh, the next day came, we called our our home insurance, and the guy came over, and he was telling us everything that we had to do, okay, that they wanted to do to get done. The water was seeping down to the room below us where Caleb, my nephew, sleeps, and into the furnace room, through the socket. So there's a lot of repairs that have to take place. And I remember talking to this guy that was the owner of the construction company that was going to do a lot of the work. And I said, you know, it is what it is. And he looked at me, and he, his eyes got big, and he says, man, Gordy, that's what I've been saying for two years. It is what it is. It's reality at that moment. And as I have researched, especially I think this last two years, really opening my heart, trying to discover things, not trying to change anything, but just as it was coming out of my heart, it resonated with inside of me, I began to discover 
a Jesus that was bigger than I've, I, I've never really dreamt about. Something I knew inside of my heart, but Jesus became bigger. God's love became bigger. And I can't grasp everything. Even though I may teach it and I may declare it, it doesn't mean that I grasp it or I understand it. But one of the words that I've said in the last two years is, it is what it is. It is what it is. And I have to surrender to that love. I don't have to, but I want to. I'm just going to take the scriptures at face value, and I'm going to try to understand it. And that's where we're going here in Ephesians. If you were here the last couple of weeks, we went into Ephesians chapter 1, and you're seeing my approach to it. And it's a little bit different, but it's so freeing. It really is the best news that you've ever heard. So let's begin right in chapter 2 and discover just a few nuggets. This is so rich, these 10 verses in Ephesians, that we're not going to, you can't. In fact, I said when we started in the first chapter that this will take you a lifelong to try to understand the very richness of God's grace spoken in chapter 1. And all we can do really is just surrender to it because God's love is so huge and so big. I cannot grasp it. If I did grasp it, then I don't understand God's love because it's measureless. So let's go in verse 1. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air. The spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient, the word disobedient, disobedient is, is unbelief. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. And like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. And let me just go into verse 4. There's a contrast here. But... Okay, he talks about all of this. He says, but because of his great love for us, God who is rich in mercy, I just had to put that in, and we'll, we'll get to that later. But there's, there's a nugget here that I just want to share with you. And there's all kinds of these nuggets inside of these 10 verses. But one of the nuggets is in verse 1 where it talks about sin. And we see that um, is there a, there you go. The word sin is harmatia. Now the word ah, amartia, the word ah is a negative, or it means without. So in the Greek, when you have the ah, it's a negative, or without. Matia comes from a word meros in the Greek, and that is the word that means portion, allotted portion, or form. So you put that word together, and it means without portion, without allotted portion, or without form. That's sin. Now, listen carefully here. This, this, is, um, this is so cool. It points toward a disoriented or a distorted, bankrupt identity. 
Now let me even go further. The sin that Paul is talking about here is about living out of the context of your already identity. Interesting. An identity that God has given to you, as we learned in chapter 1 of Ephesians, before the creation. See how weird that is? See how mysterious that is? See how deep that is? You know, so much of my life, so much of maybe your life, I can only look at myself, but through my growing up years and, and you study God and, and so much that we have been taught, I grew up with those feelings of just being inadequate, feeling inferior. Of course, you're not going to say that to anybody. This, this, this sense that you can't measure up. And so we carry a lot of guilt by feeling that we're, we're just not doing enough. And we talk about that, but seriously, that is a reality in many of our lives because of what we've been taught. And so we, are, we come underneath this guilt and we feel distant from God, that he's not close. And I've come to understand that and, and to discover that underneath a lot of this in my life was based on this lie of God's separation. That God was separated from me. And so it was when I began to see his love for me from this chapter 1 of Ephesians. That this love was in the beginning. This love was before the beginning. This love was, as he says in verse 4 here, he's chosen you before the foundation of the world. And that word chosen is not a, just you, 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 and then he didn't you, you, you. No, humanity. This is what's weird. It's so powerful. It's so encompassing. But it's hard to grasp. And so, here's the interesting thing about this, okay? When he shared this, there's a lot more we can share, but we're not going to. Let's just go into verse 4. So he says this. He says, you were this way. You were, in my own language, blinded from the reality of who you are. You have an identity that is in God, but somehow we've grown up thinking God is separated from me and he is not. That's what Paul is trying to say. He says, this is the best news that you will ever hear. But it's really hard to agree with that. And so in verse 4 he says, but because of his great love for us, God who is rich in mercy made us alive, here it is, with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. Once again, the word transgression, trans, it means uh, to descend from a higher place to a lower place. It is a picture of someone that has stopped flying. <laughs> Once again, what is it describing here? The fallen mindset. And that's why Paul says in Colossians, set your mind on things above. So we have this mind that has believed a lie 
that God has separated from you. When he says, I made you alive, made you alive, it's from a completed action in the past. This baffles me. I made you alive even though you were blinded to who you are. It just baffles me with this. And so I have to just surrender to it. I says, Lord, I don't understand all this. My authentic identity was defined before I was born. My authentic identity was defined before I was born. This is weird. God saw us in Christ before we saw ourselves there. Read very, very slowly. Just read these verses slowly. He says, you have, by grace, you have been saved. Here's something else that happened previously. The word saved is sozo. It means to make whole to make well, to rescue. And saved doesn't mean a ticket to heaven. And we use it that way, but it was never intended to be used that way. It's intended to see that when you agree with Jesus, what he has done for you, there's a wholeness that resonates inside of you. There is a completeness. There is no longer striving to earn. Did I accept God? Did he come into my life? Or did God separate himself from me? Is he like on a swivel chair where he's looking at me one moment and then he turns his back on me on another? Paul is trying to dismiss that. And he wants us to see that when you begin to see, you are going to be made whole and complete, and well. It's so crazy, isn't it? And, and this is what has happened as I began to see within the scriptures here that it, for, for Barb and I both and, and for, for some of you out here that I begin to get this revelation that there's more to the gospel than maybe what we have known. And when you begin to discover this, there's a wholeness, there's an energy that takes place that I've never had before. Okay. So, but that's not all. I, I told, this is deep stuff, isn't it? And so 6 and 7, he says this, And God raised us up with Christ, seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus, in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable... See, incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. He seated, seated us with him in the heavenlies. Try to explain that to me. I can't. I think some of these things, folks, are so rich and so deep. The only way that we can comprehend it is through the revelation of God's love, revealing this. Because these spiritual truths are not easy to explain. It's something that is born within us. We get it. We understand it. Now, when he talks about here in verse 6 that we're seated with him in the heavenlies, what's interesting is we talk so much about heaven is a place to go, and that, that is true. 
But heaven is a place where you already are. Now, we're, didn't Jesus say the kingdom of heaven is within you? Doesn't mean that you see it. Doesn't mean that you understand it. But Jesus taught the kingdom of heaven is already within you. And maybe we're looking in the wrong place. Instead of looking up, maybe we need to look within. Hard, isn't it? Sometimes this goes against tradition. But just think it through, relax, and just read slowly and think it through. Sometimes we read too fast within Scripture and don't ponder. Didn't Paul say, Christ within you, the hope of glory? It's inside. He's inside. And he's talking about closeness, closeness here. Closeness to who? To me. To you. To us. Why? So he can show off how much he loves you. Notice here in these two chapters, there is nothing that you did. You're talking about crushing your ego because that's what religion is about. See how weird that is? And Paul comes out and he says, I'm going to give you the best news that you have ever heard. Jesus has done it all. Now, as we get into these other verses and whatnot later on, we're going to see that from that place of victory, from that place of the divine life within you, you live from. And you mature and you begin to see more and more. He reveals more and more of his great love. And the more that you begin to have wholeness in your life and completeness. See, it's about Jesus and that's what Paul is talking about. Jesus has done it. And this, to me, <laughs> the reason he did it is because he wants to show off his love. That's crazy. It's mind-boggling to me. But it is what it is. Now you know why I was saying that all the time. It is what it is. I don't get it. But what this means to me is that we can live from a higher consciousness. We're seated up there. This is just a picture I have. You don't even have to buy into this. But I see that we can live from a higher consciousness than what I'm living in today. I can have a heavenly perspective because that's where we are. I don't get it, but this is all I can understand. And so here I am. I, I see myself way up there in the clouds, and I see Gordy down here, and I see all the circumstances, and, you know, when you're in the midst of a circumstance, you get freaked out, right? But what if you're way up high and you begin to see the whole picture? And pretty soon those circumstances are not as big of a deal as you thought they were. Isn't that amazing? I don't know if that's, that's what he's talking about. But you take a look at what you're going through. And we go through some, some tough things sometimes. And, and you know, when sometimes I just think about this verse and I see myself placed high above. And I imagine myself looking down and all these circumstances, the things I got to take care of, they're not as big of a deal as I thought they were. Eternally speaking, they're not that big of a deal. 
A hundred years from now, it's not that big of a deal. I don't know. You can go wherever you want to go with that. But as my mind begins to wrap around this concept, I'm thinking, Lord, (laughs) I don't know how many times I preach through this and I'm just beginning to understand it and I don't get it. That's the truth. It's too, it's almost too good to be true, seriously. It's the best news that you've ever heard, the best news that I have ever heard, and I can't wrap my mind around it, but as I try to wrap my mind around this concept, my mind is beginning to change. My consciousness is beginning to be raised. My perspective is being raised. The problem is I just don't practice it enough. But when I do get into those circumstances where I'm thinking, oh man, I'm just, I lose hope. My, my feelings are just down in the, the drain and my, my week is funky, my day is funky. And when I come to this verse and I use my imagination that my consciousness is raised and I'm looking down on everything from an eternal perspective, I'm thinking, I'm going to be okay. I'm going to be okay. Look at verse 8 and 9. He says this. He says, For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is a gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast. See, it's all about Jesus so that you and I cannot boast. I mean, if it's about you earning, if it's about you saying the right formulas in prayer and whatnot, then that's up to you. And that's where a lot of our stress comes in. Or if it's about you working enough or doing good works and all of this kind of stuff. There's a lot of stress. There's a lot of pressure. But when you begin to see that Jesus already did this in you and that you just agree and respond, that's a whole different thing. At least it it has been for me. But he says here, grace is a gift from God. And it's interesting when it says through faith, it's the through the faith of Christ. Did you know a lot of verses that we read? I think King James is here. I don't read the King James, but they're, they're good at this, where we say have faith in Christ. The King James says have the faith of Christ. Doesn't that just relax you? Because we are trying to have build up faith. Well, well Jesus, I've, I've got to believe that you came into my heart. How about believing, and maybe this is one way to say it, and I don't have time to get into it because we probably will in Colossians and Galatians, but it just relaxes me to say it's not about my faith. It's about his faithfulness of what he has already done for you. That's the enhancement of faith. When we see and believe and respond to what he has already done for you, and your faith will increase. Instead of having faith in your, in your faith, have faith in his faithfulness of what he has done. And then in the, next, in the next verse here, it says in verse 10, which I think is the key to all these 10 verses. You might find something else. I think this is the key. He says here in verse 10, for we are God's handiwork or masterpiece created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us. It's not about works. He says, no, as you respond and as you agree with what he's already done in your life, there is a love 
that will just be naturally born out of you and there will be good works that will be placed before you. You don't have to start working for it. You don't have to start looking for it. It's just going to come right before you and then you respond to that. So much to learn. But here is the thing. You were created in Christ Jesus. You were not created in Adam. You were created in Christ Jesus as he once said in verse 4, in fact, chapter 1, the first 10 verses, that before there was creation, he dreamt of you. He, he, he wanted you to be embraced in this thing called the Trinity of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit to embrace you and love on you, and you were created in Christ Jesus and what he's doing is just putting it in a different way than what he said in verse 4 where he says, I've chosen you in Christ before the foundation of the world. When you read that slow, don't worry about if somebody agrees with you or not. Be free. Ask those questions. And I'm not saying to follow what I'm saying. I'm saying you just have your own journey. You think it through. But you know you had nothing to do with it because you were created in Christ Jesus. All you can do is recognize it and to agree. Another word is to believe. That's it. To believe, you may call it nowadays, we say accept Jesus into your heart. Maybe a better way to say that is recognize what he's already done for you. See, that it makes a big difference. It makes a big difference. Why does that matter anyway? Well, for me, there's a sense of security because I never had it. I always was wondering, is, is, is he in me? Is he out of me? Because I just struggled so much in so many different areas. And, and you, you live with this insecurity. And what this has done, when I began to really be honest with myself, I'm just talking about myself here, and I began to be integrous with the scripture and reading it slow and surrendering to how big God's love is. I began to see I was in Christ Jesus before I was even born. That's a big difference. The pressure is off. Now I learned just to live from his victory, live from his power, live from his life. It's not trying to do this or that. But I think this is partly what Paul is seeking to do, is to bring that sense of security and to bring the, uh, to, to let you know the source of where you come, to let you know who you belong to from the beginning of time that you were created in Christ Jesus. Did you know what? I know, this goes out there. But you logically think through things. There was never a time you were not in Jesus Christ. Not saying you, you saw it, and we don't see it. If this is true, there was never a time when you were not in Christ Jesus. And what I'm doing here, I'm asking questions because we need to learn to ask questions. We use filters as we go through the scriptures. 
But here's another question. If we were created in Christ Jesus, embraced by the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, how about if we looked at everybody from that position? Now we're beginning to see maybe what Paul's saying when he says, I, look at, I don't look at anybody after the flesh anymore. Is that what Paul's talking about? So we filter, we search. What is it? It may go against the way I grew up, and I'm not trying to be rebellious. I'm just trying to be looking at Scripture and using my filter, asking questions, which is really, really healthy. But we take a look at people that they're living out of darkness, and some people are just really evil, but we don't know their stories. We don't know their wounds. We don't know the scars that they carry inside. But here's the question. Hey, we all live out of darkness throughout our day once in a while. All we got to do is check your brain, what you're thinking about. When you gossip, that's living out of darkness. It's not in the light. Let me ask you a question here. Because Paul, when, yeah, let me just say this. Is there life in this person that's out there? This person that's in here. Is there life in light of Jesus in them? It's not about if they said the prayer, because there's, there's a lot of stuff. There's a lot of stuff that's been created through history that we feel is biblical. and It's not that they said the prayer or formula or going to church, but is the life in the light of Jesus in all people. Well, if you read John 1, 4 to 5 and verse 9, John says yes. It says this, in Jesus was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. And this light, Jesus, shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not grasped it or understood it. And then verse 9 says, this light, Jesus, gives light and life to everyone. And like I said, I think Paul got it. When Paul said, I don't know anyone after the flesh, what is, allude, what is he alluding to? That there's light. I'm not saying they're living by the light. And they may be living by darkness. And, and the people that are dictators, political dictators around the world, no, they're not living in the light. They're living out of their darkness. But there's still something, there's still a consciousness, a divine consciousness that is still inside of them. And man, we can have a, a heyday going through all of that. Look at Galatians 2.7, Anthony, if we, can, if we can look at that. In, in, in Galatians, or, uh, Genesis 2.7, then the Lord formed a man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And the man became a living being. What did he breathe into the nostrils of man? Breath of life. That's what the word is. Breath of life. And so man became and woman became a living soul. And as he breathed into this dust... 
mankind became and received divine consciousness. This is why we have billions and zillions of religions all over the place. Because there's a divine consciousness within us we want to worship. It may be a car, maybe materialism, maybe this and that and this. And, and we have it. It's instilled within humanity to do that. Why? God breathed life into them. There's this divine consciousness. And I love the symbolism of this. It's a powerful symbolism. That when you came into this world, the first breath that you breathed was the breath of God. <laughs> yeah, you can't breathe. Without God being there, it says, and we're going to read this later, where Jesus holds all things together. You cannot breathe if Jesus was separate from you. You cannot. Every breath you take is a reminder of the divine life that is within you. Awesome. This is his love, folks. This is his love. And so when we, we see the creation and the life that Adam brought to the human race, we may call it the corruptible seed that he, that he brought. It was planted into his mind. And what was planted into Adam and Eve's minds? The lie of separation. Why do you think they hid from God? Why do you think they were afraid from God? Is because they believed a lie that God was separated from them. You see, the thing, the thing is, you don't have a fallen nature. Your nature was always the life breath of God. Our problem with the human race is that we have, we have bought into a lie that we're separated from God. And so you've been born rotten. You've been born evil. You've been born separated from God. And for 1,500 years, we believe this because theologies began to develop around this certain thing. And if you're born rotten, if you're born evil, then you've got to do something about it or you're going to meet an angry God that is going to torment you consciously for the rest of your life. Because you didn't love them back. This is the dominant theology of our Western mindset. It's because we picked a few theologians, and I'm not saying change your mind, I'm just telling you, I'm just giving you a lesson here. Paul says in 2 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, God was reconciling the world to himself. What does that mean? There was peace with God through Jesus Christ on the cross. And Jesus came and he brought the incorruptible seed of life. He, he demonstrated, he showed off his love on the cross and the resurrection so that we could finally get to the place we're, no, we're not separated, but Jesus entered into the human race. He in, entered into our darkness, though we could not understand it. When Jesus went before the cross, it was just right before the cross and the resurrection, Jesus said this in John 14. He said, on that day you will realize that I am in my Father, and you are in me, and I am in you. 
The way you think and the way I think, the way we think about ourselves should have been left in the tomb. When Christ died, you died. When Christ rose, you rose with him. How many died with Jesus Christ on the cross? How many rose with Christ? What does Paul say in Corinthians? All. All. I'm not saying you're seeing it. There's a lot of people that will disagree. There's a lot of people that don't agree in their heart because they love darkness more than light. But they have the light. They don't see it. They, they don't agree with what Jesus accomplished for them. And it's hard for Christians to believe that. Because how we've been trained, how we've been conditioned, how we read scripture. See, the very same lie that Adam and Eve fell into was the lie that God was separated from his creation. And the lie that, that they had to do something to appease God or to be like God, to become something they already were. They already were connected to God, but they believed the lie. You see, Adam and Eve, as we begin to wrap things up slowly here, Adam and Eve did not sin because of their nature. They sinned because they were deceived. See that? Their nature was great. They were unity. There was, they were united with God. So it wasn't from a bad nature. It was because they were deceived. And then they gave it to us as a human race. And that is why we are blinded and we believe that lie that we're separated. And so our theology comes from that concept. I like what Paul shares in fact, in that lie, Adam and Eve, it became a reality. That's the way it is. What we perceive, we begin to believe, and what we believe becomes reality. But anyways, Paul, in, in Acts chapter 17, this is the last story. But in, in Paul, he, he, I think he's sharing how he shares this message. And I want to just go through this very briefly. In 1728, for in him we live and move and have our being. As some of your own poets have said, we are his offspring. Now the question is, when you see the we here, who's the we? Is, is it Paul and his companions? No, it's the we of Athens. Paul was going through Athens. People were worshiping idols. And so he says this. He says, we all, you that are worshiping idols, we move and live in God. Then, he says in verse 29, he says this. Therefore, since we are God's offspring, we should not think that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone, an image made by human design and skill. This is what's interesting. If you can just leave this verse up there, Anthony. He says, we are his offspring. And what's interesting is when he says that, he's saying, we are his children. He's not saying, you are all God's creation. What he's saying, you are children of God. And he uses that word offspring in the Greek, genos, which you and I come to understand as genealogy. 
So he gets into the core of this, and he wanted them to know their true identity. And then he says, now since you know that you are children of God, it just makes no sense whatsoever, does it? To keep believing that God is an idol made of gold, silver, and stone. It's crazy, isn't it? And so he says later on, he says, repent. What is repentance? It's changing your mind. Changing your mind about what? What God has done for you, what Jesus has, has done on the cross and the resurrection. It's changing your mind and believe or respond or agree what Christ has already done. Now, two or three verses. We've got about two minutes here. Let's just go through these, um, Anthony. Romans 11, 30, 36. Romans eleven thirty six. For from him and through him and for him are all things. To him be the glory forever. Amen. Colossians chapter 1 and verse 16 and 17. For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities. All things have been created. All things have been created through him and for him. Verse 17. He is before all things, before creation. He is before everything, and in him all things hold together. Colossians 3.11. Here there is no Gentile or Greek, and you've got to read the context, but we don't have time. Gentile or Greek, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free. But Christ is all in, is in all. Here's a translation that I want to read. The revelation from Colossians 3.11. The revelation of Christ in us gives identity to the individual beyond anything anyone could ever be as a Greek, a Jew, an American, an African, a foreigner, or famous, male or female, from now on everyone is defined by Christ. Everyone is represented in Christ. Doesn't mean they see it. But what it does mean, God so loved the world. It's bigger, way bigger than maybe what we had ever imagined and this is why I just have to come and just say it is what it is. And I'm going to surrender. And as you begin to surrender that to that, you begin to mature. And you begin to see people differently than what you've ever seen before. And your life becomes whole. Because now it's not about works. Now it's not about did I say the right prayer. It's now responding to that love that divine love that is within you, and that makes a big difference, at least it has for me. This is the conclusion of this. When everything is all said and done, when I'm all done and said and get crucified <laughs> from some of this stuff, when it's all said and done, the one thing left is, that is standing is love. That's the last thing that's standing. It is love. No matter how long it's going to take for love to win, love will be, overcome, will be the overcoming factor at the end of the day. If Jackson would come up now.
And as he's coming up in the band, I want to just read 1 Corinthians because this describes Jesus. This, this describes the Holy Spirit. This describes the Father. And then from this, when you know this, there's a propensity that you will begin to live that way, which is freedom. All right. Love is patient. Love is kind. It, it does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. This is, this is about God now we're talking about. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Whew. Cross took care of that one. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It, is all, it always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. And in verse 8 it says, love, love never fails. Never fails. God bless you. Grace and peace to you. In Jesus' name, amen.